welcome to episode 30 of the Radio Omnigot podcast. My name is Simon Eager, and in this episode I will be talking to you about gibberish, also known as... Now this language has very ancient roots, but hasn't been studied in great detail, so I want to introduce it to you, explain where it comes from, how it developed, how I learnt it, and what exactly is it how's it structured, and so on. So let's start with a bit of history. Now it's thought that gibberish, modern gibberish that is, developed from middle gibberish sometime in about the 2nd century AD. And before that, around the 3rd century BC, it developed from Old Nonish. Now there are very few records available in Old Nonish, but going back even further, the ancestor of Old Nonish is thought to be Proto-Nonish which is thought to have been spoken from about 2000 BC. And before then, it's not exactly known where this language came from, so we can say the origins of it are lost in the mists of history. So, from Old Nonish, it's thought that there were two branches of this language family. One became Middle Gibberish, and one became Middle Nonish. And from gibberish, we get modern gibberish, gobbledygook, jabberish, which is thought by some to be a, a dialect of gibberish, but I would think it's a separate language, and also balderdash and gibblegabble. And from nonish, developed modern nonsense, babble pop, mumbo jumbo, twiddle twaddle, and piffle bosh. Uh, but in this podcast, we'll be focusing on modern gibberish. So, where is it spoken? Well, there isn't one particular place where it's spoken. There are people all around the world, in fact, who speak it. It's thought that the original homeland was possibly a small island somewhere in the Atlantic, not far from France, possibly, although nobody's quite sure. And it's thought that because uh, sea levels have risen since then, this island is no longer visible. And nothing was written in this language until about the 2nd century AD when a kind of script was starting to develop. It was loosely based on the the Roman alphabet. It was used for Latin, with some influences from runes and the um, Orm script used in Ireland and, and Britain at the time. So early inscriptions were mainly on stones, well, those are the ones that have survived anyway. It may have been used in other ways on perishable materials, but none of those have survived. So the early, early inscriptions were all quite short, mainly people's names, thought to be kind of graffiti, saying um, was here or something such like. And um, it's not possible to know much about the early forms of language from this inscription, but it gives you some idea of naming conventions, and then sometimes in these inscriptions other things are mentioned as well, such as people's um, characteristics, People had nicknames, of course, so things like weight, height, colour of the hair and the eyes might be mentioned, as these were distinguishing features, or personal habits as well. So some vocabulary in this early form of gibberish has been um, studied and um, is known. Later on, more extensive texts have been recovered in manuscripts written on parchment and vellum, and sometimes carved wood or stone. And these were everyday kind of texts 
notes and poems and songs, possibly religious texts as well, although not much is known about the early gibberish religion. It's merely speculation that they were religious texts, in fact. And then later on, in about the 11th century, from then on, longer pieces of literature were starting to emerge in this language. And before then, it was mainly an oral language, used in storytelling and songs and poems, and in some areas, possibly for everyday conversation. And then, up until the modern times, you know, gibberish, the gibberish-speaking people have spread all over the world. And now they can be found in many different countries. There are some concentrations in certain areas, such as in North Wales, around Bangor and Anglesey. There's a particular cluster of, of gibberish speakers, of which I am one, and some of my friends are as well. And when we get together, we, we talk in gibberish sometimes, just for fun. And um, sometimes we even make up songs in gibberish as well. So that's a bit of the history of the language. Now let's look at the language itself. So it's not related to any other language as far as we know. It was um, spoken you know, before the Proto-Indo-Europeans arrived in Europe, so it's possibly related to Basque, because that was also spoken at the time, but in quite a different area of Europe. So um, it doesn't show any kind of similar vocabulary or grammar to Basque, so that's probably unlikely. Although, over the past 3,000 years, it has obviously changed a lot, and there's a lot of regional variation in how it's spoken. The particular North Wales variety that I speak um, also varies quite a bit, depending on the day of the week, the phase of the moon, the state of the tide, and so on. And the grammar is, is quite um, variable as well. I mean, the standard word order is verb subject object but this can be um, changed if you want to emphasize a different part of the sentence you stick that in the middle so if you want to emphasize the verb you put it after the subject so for example i live in banger now banger in gibberish is tu kapapu which means thunder valley because the river that runs through banger well under banger now it used to run through banger is called, was called in Welsh the Avon Taranon, which means Thunder River. So in gibberish, it has a similar name. So I live in Bangor. If you want to emphasize that it's me that's living here, not anybody else, that would be Of course, in this sentence, Bangor changes because it's in a different position. The, the standard nominative form of Bangor is, is, as I mentioned earlier, but in this case, it's in the uh, the uh, locative form, because you're living in it. So it's... Now, if it was he lives in Bangor, and not any, and you want to emphasize that it's him living in, in Bangor and not anywhere else, then the form would be... Now, as you may have noticed, um, gibberish has some unusual sounds which are not common in other languages. And of course, as I mentioned, there are many regional variations in how gibberish is pronounced. So, um, in my variation, there are sounds like... Now, in some versions of, of gibberish, there are also tones and even clicks but um, not in, in my version. So let's give some more examples. Now, if you want to say, hello, how are you? You go, 
And to reply to that, you might go, Kibbutz, ah! But only on a Saturday, which today is Saturday, and in the afternoon, if it's cloudy. If it was on a Monday morning and it was sunny, then you would say, Possibly, if you were between the ages of 30 and 50, and male. If you were anything else, you would say something completely different. For example, if you were over the age of 60 and female, you would say something like, And that would mean, I'm very well, thank you, how are you? And then, if you met someone new and you wanted to ask them their name, you could say, And to which the reply would be, And then you put your name. So I would say, Simon. Or in gibberish, my name would be... Now, you may be wondering, where can you learn more about uh, gibberish? Are there any online courses? Is it available in Duolingo or any other online language learning apps? Is there other language learning apps are available? Well, not yet. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get it available on Memrise, and um, the people at Duolingo are interested in trying to put together a course. And now it's time for a tune, I think. This is Dancing on Custard, a tune I wrote a few years ago on the harp. find someone who speaks it and ask them to teach you it. And most people who speak gibberish will be very happy to help you. Yeah, so if you can find someone to help you speak gibberish, then good luck. Or uh, That's how I'd say it today anyway. If I was talking tomorrow afternoon or evening, then I would say it in a completely different way, of course. There are several different tenses. Um, the most commonly used is the narrative tense. It's used for telling stories, of course. There's also a poetic tense for poems and also for songs. And sometimes we use the... Um, in gibberish, it's called the... But in, in English, what would, it, what would it be called? It's um, It's used to talk about things that came to you in a dream, either when you're asleep or when you're daydreaming. So it could be called the dream tense, I suppose. And, um, yeah, that's often where you can talk about things in that tense, but often they, they turn out to be, um, come out in the narrative tense or the poetic tense. So, well, yeah, the other day I was talking to my friends, and we were talking about gibberish, and started having a little conversation in gibberish, and then... One of them said, actually, she tried to teach a, a friend, another friend, to, to speak gibberish, but the friend was having great difficulty picking it up. And we were wondered about this. You know, some people seem to have a knack for it, and others really can't get it at all. 
I mean, the, the pronunciation can be quite difficult. There are some sounds like... And such like, which, which can take a lot of practice to, to get quite right. And of course, there's many variations in, in these sounds in different dialects, which makes it more challenging to learn. So, or some, yeah, some people have an act for it and pick it up with no problem at all. And just, yeah, no time at all, they can have pretty good conversations. Um, but others just never really get it and just um, flounder really. It's strange that. And now, for on a more serious note, I hope I've rea- you've realised that I'm I'm talking complete nonsense in this podcast just for fun. Um, gibberish is in fact a completely made up language. It has no script or history. I just made those up on the spot, and everything I've said in gibberish in this podcast was made up. As as all the gibberish conversations I have with friends, and we do actually make up silly conversations and songs in gibberish, and it's genuinely. Um, a friend of a friend, you know, was, didn't seem to be able to get it. Just couldn't come up with any gibberish-sounding words or or phrases as as we seem to do quite naturally. And another friend, he um, he's, he can tell stories in in gibberish, and and you can actually follow them. He uses actions and and mime to show what's happening. And even even if you don't understand the word, you can actually kind of follow what he's he's talking about. So he's, he's pretty good at, at gibberish. Well, others, um, yeah, as I said, they, they really struggle with it. So, yes, that is gibberish. That's all I've got to say. I hope you found this amusing. Wherever you are, I hope you're safe and well. If you're self-isolating through choice or necessity or obligation or whatever, I hope you're finding things to do. This is a very good time to work on your languages and other hobbies and skills to develop new things. Um, yes, I'll be... Staying at home, mainly, for the next few months, probably. All the groups I normally go to have been cancelled. We had a kind of virtual online choir meet-up the other day, which was fun. Um, but it was, yeah, the, the technology isn't quite there for all of us to sing together. So our, our conductor was singing, and she muted all the other mics, and we sang along on our own. So this is a good time to explore ways to learn languages from home. And there's many online courses and apps and such like you can use. You can use Skype and other communication methods like FaceTime to actually talk to real people. And it is possible to learn a lot of a language on your own, in fact, which is what I've been doing for the past three years nearly. This week I, I finally finished all the Czech lessons on Duolingo, which I started just over a year ago, I think. And unlike other languages, I've been doing every single lesson. I haven't been skipping ahead. And in Duolingo, each kind of collection of lessons has a theme, and you have so many lessons, you know, at level one, and then you get a crown, and then you do some more lessons, slightly harder at level two, and then level three, then four, and level five, and then you finish that topic. Um... But if you don't want to do every individual lesson in each level, you can do a test and then skip to the next level. I mean, that's what I did for other languages I've used. I've uh, learned on Duolingo, like um, Swedish and Danish and Russian and Spanish. But with Czech, I decided to do every lesson as I go along. So I, I do a few lessons from one topic and a few from the next topic, and then gradually build up until I do all the lessons and then move on to the next topic and so on. I didn't actually start from the beginning because I already knew some Czech. At the, when I started learning, so I studied it with other other courses on and off for quite a few years. Um, so I 
in, in Duolingo, you have the option of doing a placement test to see how what level you are at the beginning. So you don't have to start right from, hello, how are you, blah, 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 because I know all that stuff. So, yeah, I haven't done every single lesson in, in the um, Czech tree, it's called, I think. Um, but I've done most of them, and I've finished them now. So I'm thinking, is it time to start a new language or to brush up one of the languages I've studied in the past? And I've been considering brushing up my Italian or Portuguese or Japanese or German or starting something completely different like Finnish or Greek or um, Swahili or Hawaiian even. And I haven't decided yet which one I will do, but um, I'll probably start that soon. And I've been learning... Um, with Duolingo and other apps every single day for nearly three years now. And I've completed courses in, in various languages. I've, I've mentioned um, some of them, Czech, Russian, Swedish, Danish, and um, Spanish. And also completed uh, lessons in Esperanto and done level one in Romanian as well. So yeah, I've learned a lot from that. Now, Duolingo isn't perfect. It's not going to teach you to become a fluent speaker of a language unless you make an effort to actually find people to talk to and practice using what you're learning there and also read and write it. So, yeah, if, if you're stuck at home, which a lot of people are at the moment, there are ways you can practice using your languages. Obviously, you can talk to people online via Skype and other, other means, as I mentioned. And something I've been doing quite a bit recently is watching YouTube videos because often... My my um, routine at the moment is when I wake up in the morning, I'll you know, pick up my phone and open up Duolingo or another app I'm using, memorize as well, and Wondly, and do some lessons in one language. And then before I move on to the next language, I'll watch a few videos, often music videos. I'm looking for music in, in languages I'm learning. And I found some interesting bands playing in Danish and Russian and Finnish as well. I'm not learning that at the moment, but um, I really like the sound of it, which is one reason why I might learn it. And um, I watch a few of those, then move on to the next language. Um, so it gives me a kind of break from one language, so it helps not get too confused between the different languages. Well, that's the idea anyway. And I've noticed, you now if you, you listen to some you know, Russian music on, on YouTube, then most of the comments on the video will be in Russian. And you can make your own comments there. You practice using your Russian. You can read what other people have written. And often on YouTube and other media like that, people will write in quite informal language and using non-standard spelling sometimes. And you can pick up a lot from that, um, positive and negative, because not everybody likes what they see, obviously, and some people are very rude and leave very negative comments on things. But... Uh, I think most of the, the things I've been looking at, people are overwhelmingly positive. So you, you can pick up a lot of interesting language just by reading comments like that. And you may not understand everything, but you've got tools like um, translation apps like Google Translate to help you. And then you can write your own comments. And maybe you get into a little discussion. Um, you won't probably have many discussions on uh, YouTube unless you make really kind of outrageous comments. But on other social media like Facebook and so on, you can get into real detailed discussions. So, you know, find groups in the languages you're learning and then you can start talking to people and um, practicing using language and actually writing a language 
is almost as good as speaking it in some ways better in fact because you, you have more time to think about what you want to to write about you can check and um, you don't have the time pressure really when you're speaking you know you've got to go and try and think about everything as you're speaking you don't have time to fumble around for verb conjugations and noun declensions or vocabulary or whatever you need to to say what you need to say so when you're writing you have have time to do to think about the these things so that's that's some ways you could uh, practice actually using your languages you could even make your own videos in languages you're learning hope you found this interesting and informative and possibly amusing you can leave any comments and suggestions and notes at radio at omnigot.com you can contact me at feedback at omnigot.com my name is simon eager uh, the music you heard at the beginning of this podcast is a tune i wrote a while ago called the hedge cats and it's become my theme tune so that's all i have to say for today thank you for listening and goodbye